0: Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, and joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing this week?
1: I'm here. I'm here for a stove that is efficient. Fish... Are we calling it hot, or is it just maybe warm? I mean, it's on a four, right, out of ten. It's it's getting there. You can't boil water just yet, but you can get a little simmer.
0: I feel like it's kind of like a cold stove, and Kansas City is the hot oasis of, oh, yeah. of, of, yeah, of yeah. transactions, because it seems like the Royals are the ones making moves, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, but first... Want to bring on as well David Lusky. David, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I appreciate you coming on for uh, our Winter Meetings episode uh, because there are, this is the week of the Winter Meetings. Uh, this is usually the most uh, frenzied uh, week of, of transactions in baseball where general managers get together and hash out trades over gin and tonics and meet with agents in lobbies. Of course, that's all not going to happen this year. It's all going virtual uh, with teams talking. I guess, over texting and calling each other on the phone, which is like pretty much what they do every day. Um, So with that, combined with kind of a feeling of austerity around baseball, where we are kind of expecting a slow winter and with teams cutting back after millions of losses uh, in the 2020 season, uh, we kind of thought it'd be pretty slow. But the Royals continue to be the most active team early on. Uh, They continued that, you know, last week they signed Mike Miner to a two year deal, brought in Michael Taylor. Uh, today, they signed Carlos Santana to a two-year, $17.5 million deal. Uh, Santana is a 34-year-old switch-hitting first baseman who spent most of his career with the Cleveland Indians, where he absolutely terrorized Royals pitching over the years. Uh, last year, he hit just 199, but lots of walks. Uh, he's always been uh, a guy that drew, uh, has, has drawn a lot of walks. He led the league in walks last year. Second time in his career he's done that. Uh, he had, Despite his 199 batting average, he had a 349 on base percentage, which would have been second on the Royals last year. Uh, and in 2019, he was very good. He was an all-star and a silver slugger winner, uh, hitting 281, 397 on base percentage, 515 slug with 34 home runs. So, David Lesky, this uh, this move may, may be a little bit surprising to you, or, or were you kind of expecting this? And what was your reaction to uh, Carlos Santana signing with the Royals?
2: I mean, any time the Royals sign a guy who – leaves the league and walks <laughs> surprising in, in some ways, you know, it's um. I, I put this on Twitter and, and I, at first I thought maybe I was being hyperbolic and then I looked deeper into it. He is one of the five to 10 most patient hitters in Royals history immediately upon pen hitting paper, <laughs> which is crazy and kind of damning for the organization, but also shows how patient he is. I mean, his his worst walk rate in a season would be 18th best in franchise history. So, a little bit different. Um, that said, I, I I thought they might target him because he's a fairly affordable middle of the order bat, and they talked about wanting middle of the order bats, so that makes sense. I I, I think, yeah, it, it's probably a little more than I would have given, but I'll, I mean, at this point, that's you know, you're really just kind of looking for something. I feel like because it's not crazy money for a guy who what was his WRC plus in 2019? It was like 141. Some it was it was great I don't, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head but i mean he's he's a he's a really randomly weird year removed from an all-star season <laughs> you know it's it, it, it's it's they, they they got a switch hitter in the middle of the order which is really nice i mean all things equal i would have liked the left-handed bat santana provides that because he'll hit from the left side against righties um you know it just it it kind of fits really well and and, and he's even a solid defensive first baseman, which I think the Royals overplay pretty significantly. But at the same time, you'd rather have a good defender than not if <laughs> you have the choice. So um, that's that's good too. There's there's downside. I mean, the guy's a mid thirties hitter, and those they sometimes fall off the map. But at the same time, I I I really like this move. I, I love bringing in a guy who actually works a walk.
0: Yeah, and you know, 2019 he was at 135 WRC plus. Just so you have that. Uh, but even last year when he hit below the Mendoza line, he 95 WRC plus, which isn't great, especially for first baseman, but that's also not the black hole in the lineup, you know, that a lot of guys, a lot of the hitters at the bottom of their lineup were last year. So, you know, I think you look, I think you're right. There's a non-zero chance that he, you know, he's, he's 34 years old and he, you know, there's a possibility he falls off the cliff next year. But, um, you know, I think if he's even reasonably close to what he was uh, in his, you know, in, in the last couple of years, I think he's, you know, like you say, he's, Already one of the best, most patient hitters uh, that the Royals have. Uh, I think I looked over the last decade, he's like the most, he has the fifth best walk rate in in all of baseball, which that's just so antithetical to what the Royals have had over the years. And uh, uh, David, I'll let you guess on this. There have been five, six seasons in Royals history by five players uh, that have had 100 walk seasons. Carlos Santana. I mean, last year he was easily on a pace for 100 walks if they played a full season. He's drawn 100 walks a couple times in his in his career, so he he could become the, the sixth player. Can you name the other five players that have drawn 100 walks in a season for the Royals?
2: Well, it's Mayberry and Porter for sure. Yep. Um, I feel like, I don't think George did it. Did he? Did he I, did it once. I, he is
0: once, okay. yeah, in 1985.
2: Was, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. With, with 31
0: um, intentional walks, by the way.
2: Oh, that that helps. That's crazy. I think Seitzer did it?
0: Yep. Seitzer was the last one to do it
2: in nineteen eighty nine. And I I oh, you I'm gonna be so mad at myself when you tell me who it was. It's it's a
0: difficult one.
2: I was it Oh man, was it like um Aikens or something?
0: No, it was Paul Shaw in nineteen seventy oh. <laughs> one. Nineteen seventy one Paul Shaw, third baseman who played who uh, George Brett would end up replacing. So yeah. It's it's been a minute since the Royals had a guy that could draw a hundred walks, John. And um, you know, Dave, Dave Moore did mention he wanted to bring in a guy with on base percentage. Carlos Santana seems to fit the bill, but is this in your mind a good fit for the Royals? Well, first, Max, I'm sure you had a Paul
1: Shaw poster on your wall,
0: correct?
1: <laughs> Knowing you, I'm sure you you love that guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Huh? Um, yeah. I mean, so. Ah, oh, gosh! I think it was friend of the show, Patrick Brennan, that mentioned that he was putting together like an all anti royals list, and Carlos Santana would be uh, would be up there. So it's it's a good signing, um, in the sense of it's something. It's a player that pretty much everyone likes. The risk isn't low necessarily because it's a two year deal. I think it was eighteen million. I want to say seventeen and, and a half with some incentives. I think on top. Of well, okay, okay, yeah. So it's it's not nothing, um, but I mean. It's interesting in the sense that, yeah, obviously everybody loves kind of his approach. Um, Remains to be seen if 2019 was an anomaly, and he's still projected. I think he's projected for two-ish wins, I want to say. So, you know, that's right-ish on the money if you give a one win is worth maybe eight-ish million. So it's not too outrageous to expect him to be worth two wins over the next two years. So they could get the money there. They could get the value there. So. I mean, I don't dislike it. It's it's, it's really really interesting. Um, someone had mentioned that his best splits have come against well, has have come at Kauffman Stadium compared to any I want to say maybe any AL team. Now of course he doesn't get to pitch the, he doesn't get to face the Royals pitching uh, anymore. But uh, he never really had a problem hitting cop. Kauffman. So yeah, I mean I, I think it's interesting if, if it moves Dozier to third base that's maybe the big kind of concern because Dozier's not really a very good third baseman, which is kind of strange given he was a decent second baseman shortstop in college. Um, so uh, it remains to be seen kind of what happens with Dozier, which, but it does seem like he'll be a third and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see um, what ends up happening. I mean, it's, it's not of the moves they could have made for a hitter. It's definitely a lot better, a lot more interesting than, than the Michael A. Taylor signing. I'll, I'll say that.
0: Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that, Dayton Moore talked about kind of lengthening the lineup, and I think he recognized there were you know, there was a lot of holes in that lineup last year, and some of them you kind of have to live with. I mean, Albert Amandese, when he's struggling, he's going to be a black black hole, but you kind of want to ride it out to, to get what we got in you know, the last couple of weeks of the season with him. And, and guys like Nicky Lopez, like he's probably going to start, um, and he provides great defense, but um, you're going to have to kind of live with his bat for now. Uh, at least that seems to be kind of what the, the plan. Uh, Michael Taylor, kind of the same issue. like He's, 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 he's there for his glove. Uh, so you kind of need a guy like Santana, who, who Lesky pointed out is as a pretty good defender as well. Um, and so, you know, I think this, this does give the at least the first six, maybe even seven, if Montessi hits well uh, in the lineup, you know, they're pretty good offensive forces. Uh, David, how do you see the the Royals lineup kind of playing out now with, with Santana at first? It does sound like Hunter Dozier is going to play third. Um, how do you see maybe the, the batting order going uh, once they get, if, if, if this is kind of our starting lineup for, for next year?
2: If it was me, I'd put Santana in the two spot. Um, I don't imagine that's what'll happen. <laughs> I think, I think I, I have a hard time thinking Mondesi will be anywhere but second or maybe third. I guess. Um, so I, I guess maybe you would see Santana two if if they put Mondesi three. Um, but I think it's going to end up being Merrifield, Mondesi, probably Solaire, and then Santana four would be my guess. Um, I don't know. I I'd, I'd love to have that OBP a little higher, but. <laughs> Um, he's, he's not the fastest runner anyway, so it's not, he. he I don't want to say he clogs the bases, because obviously you'd rather have a guy on base than not, but um, there's there's at least that to consider, but the the thing about Santana too, that I really like, and that where I like him in the middle of the order, with speed guys in front of him, is he puts the ball in play too, I mean the guy hasn't had a strikeout rate above like 18% since his first full season, so <laughs> he, he works the walk, but he also, he doesn't strike out very much, and if you look at the team last year, there were what five guys who had like thirty plate appearances that were that had a lower than twenty percent strikeout rate, and they were Gallagher, Oliveras, Merrifield, Cordero, and Franco. So how many of them even, you know, what what's the outside of Franco and Merrifield, not many plate appearances there. So different elements in the lineup in, in that way as well, and which doesn't bother me, like I said, in the middle, because if you've got Mondesi on on second base with with two outs and Santana comes to play he's probably not going to leave him there with a strikeout, which is nice at least. So <laughs> I, I think that that's, um, that, that's a, that's a little, little different look, I guess for, for a guy like Santana. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing, I'm guessing he's hitting four separating Solaire and, and, uh, Salvi some way. It might, maybe Salvi's third, maybe Solaire's third, but the other one will probably be fifth. And, and I think it, it, Look, it makes the lineup better. Like you said, one through seven could be deadly. Now, I will also say, I don't, I wouldn't say that that's that they're done. Uh, I think that from conversations I've had, they've got some more money to spend. So that 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 could allow them to look at a third baseman and move Dozier back to a corner. Could allow them to look at a second baseman, put Nikki on the bench, a corner outfielder to put Merrifield back at second. I mean, th- there there are some possibilities there. Um, yeah, I. I I wouldn't guarantee anything, but I I don't think it's a done deal that they're done.
0: Yeah, it's kinda of, they, they did kind of stress the positional versatility of Wit and Hunter, um, and a lot of, like the fluidity of the situation allowed them to kind of put a lot of balls in the air and see what they had out there. And, you know, there was some interesting comments Dave Morton made today, Sean, about how they knew that this was gonna be a slow off season and they wanted to kind of take advantage of that, you know, and they targeted a couple guys early on and made you know fairly aggressive offers, and I think I think Miner and Santana both. That's probably not maybe you know I, if you ask me like ideally what, what we would sign them for, I probably wouldn't have put that number quite as high as they did. They they signed them for, but I don't think it's like a huge overpay, and like they're a team that probably can afford to overpay a little bit considering their their low uh, pay pay commitments. Um, but what do you think of the the strategy of kind of going out and trying to be aggressive in this kind of market and 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 signing a guy early?
1: yeah you know it's kind of funny that Moore gets the rep of being like a value guy kind of waiting till the end which and that's not untrue but he's also had some signings where he's kind of gone out and done something had some trade obviously too you think of the Will Myers trade um that happened in like December 18th or something um you had the Ian Kennedy signing I mean he's not been unaggressive at times I'm mean, obviously he's done some kind of late scoops um come close to February and March time, but. You know he's not been he's not always necessarily just been laid back and just kind of waited it all out. So I don't think it's that that strange. I'll say it's not that strange for him to make a move. It was strange to think that the Royals so far have spent more money than anybody else in free agency. Um, given that it's only you know it's not that much. I think it was like 37 and a half million. I thought I saw. So it's not as if they're breaking the bank. But still, I mean it's 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 surprising to see them the big market Kansas City Royals going out and spending so. Uh, it's fortuitous, you would think, for the future. Um, we you can disagree about the signings, but you can't necessarily disagree with the the aggressiveness. I'll say, or you can't you can't disagree with the idea of going out and getting something if you think it's going to improve your team, rather than waiting back and then perhaps possibly getting like up bid on it or something. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a sign. Hopefully, it's a good sign of things to come.
0: Yeah, and I think there's there's kind of two strains of thought. I mean, like some people might say, well, if you wait it out, you know, typically once closer you get to spring training, you can find some bargains, but it almost kind of seems like everyone in baseball is doing that. And so, and I think Dayton Moore even specifically said they, they wanted to kind of zig where everyone else was zagging. And so in that respect, maybe you kind of get a good deal if you're aggressive early on. I mean, it, to me, it seems like you either get a good deal if you jump on it first or you wait till March. And if you kind of fall in that you know gray area in between you're you're gonna end up paying 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 a lot more and I know it's just you know mid december and that that shouldn't be early in the off season, but we've seen like what three signings significant signings so far, so this is kind of jumping early for 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 baseball unfortunately uh and so i i kind of i I think that's a good strategy, especially when you're you're targeting the guys that you want and not necessarily settling for whatever's left over in March, so I think it makes a lot of sense in that respect. Uh, David, you, you mentioned there might be room for more moves. Uh, what does this say about John Sherman? I think we didn't really know much about him going into this year. Um, obviously, he probably took a financial hit, as did all the owners. But um, it seems like a pretty encouraging sign. He's willing to go into his pocketbook when all these other teams are, are um, kind of cutting back.
2: Yeah, I mean, we talked about this, I feel like, um, on this podcast back in July, August, whenever it was, um, I guess it would have been before August, when when the Royals didn't. Fire people when they did pay their minor leaguers, and how that was viewed in the industry. Um, and I, and we, you know, when the off started, I thought, well, maybe, maybe they'll do it again, but with players, and and they've they've done it. it you know, it, if you want to say they overpaid, back to your previous question, just to to jump on that for a second. I mean, what what, what would minor have gotten on a perfect market deal? Two fourteen. Yeah, yeah we're, we're like
0: quibbling over like a million or two dollars Exactly,
2: <laughs> and, and if the Royals said We want this guy And they said we're going to throw an extra two million On top of it or whatever it is to get him Right now and not have to worry about it I I, I like that strategy And I think what that says about John Sherman is Look, I'm going to give you the money to sign your guy um, Now, if it doesn't work I don't think Dayton Moore will have The leeway he had with David Glass I think if <clears throat> if These signings blow up and, and just are disasters for the Royals, uh, Dayton Moore might not have a job. And uh, that would make a lot of people happy. I think. But um, I, I think John Sherman is giving him an opportunity to, to do what he thinks is best. And and I think it shows that he's kind of what he said when he was introduced before the world collapsed, um, that he's he's in this to own a good baseball team and not to necessarily... Make every last penny as an owner, which it's his prerogative. That's what he wanted to do, but I'm I'm glad it seems like it's not because it's a better product on the field. I mean, you you can say the this makes the Royals 85 win team 75, whatever it was, but I mean, I I, I think you'd be hard pressed to look at this team today and say they're not better than they were on September 27th for the last game of the season. I, I, and they're they they look on paper like a better team today than they were then, and and that's the goal. Um, we can argue again about should they be tanking or not but that's that's another argument entirely and 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 John Sherman is is letting Dayton Moore go out and giving him the resources that he needs to find those guys and it, it's kind of the perfect off season in that exact like we like you said he's digging while everybody else is zagging and and this isn't the first time I mean we talked about it a minute ago they they they, they, they didn't lay off staff they didn't they didn't. Stop paying minor leaguers like some organizations did. They they did the right thing, and they're and they're doing it again. They're putting their money where their mouth is. And as as a fan, I love to see it.
0: Yeah, it's certainly been. I, I mean, just seeing fans on the internet get excited, fans that have kind of written off the Royals for a while, um, you know, just excited that the Royals are bringing in a player that they've heard of. Like that's that's kind of cool. And I'll say this, you know, if even if this blows up, like say Mike Miner blows out his arm this year, and Carlos Santana shows his age and, and just kind of falls off a cliff, you know, hopefully that does not happen. But even if it does, you know, it's like, those are two-year deals. It's $35 million, which seems like a lot, but in baseball terms, it really isn't, that's, you know, it's not, it's like the Ian Kennedy deal, where if like, that's a bad deal, then, you know, it's kind of an albatross on your books for years and years, you know, they could probably get by if one or both of those deals end up not really working out. Um, and that's what I kind of like about these like two-year deals. Uh, is, is that it, it gives the Royals a lot of flexibility, it gives, especially when you talk about some young guys coming up uh, and we don't know which of them will be you know, quality major leaguers and which won't, but the Royals have a lot of options they can take now um, with both with the lineup and I think with the pitching staff. So um, I kind of like these two-year deals for veterans that have proven it and yeah, they might be on their decline phase, but it looks like they have a little bit something left and they can at least be valuable at least for another year. We'll see about two years uh, and so for, in, in that respect, I think it does make a lot of sense. Um, you know, you, you you talk about what, you know, what the expectations might be for this year. And Sean, you know, I even saw Joe Sheehan, who's typically very down on the Royals, uh, say kind of jokingly tweet that, you know, he's going to talk himself into the Royals as a wildcard contender. Where are you on where you expect the Royals to be? I mean, the, how much better does this make the lineup? Is it a is it a good lineup? Is it an average lineup? Below average? And what is your kind of expectation for the Royals right now, as as the roster stands right now?
1: Yeah, I think uh, again in front of the show, Patrick Brennan. I forget how he weighted it or if he did weight it, but he used I think roster resource and projections for. I think he got the Royals at seventy eight wins. Long story short, um, I don't know about that one. If only because I'm going to take the under on. I think they have the Royals. Uh, catching being worth three wins. I'm going to take the under on that one. Um, I think, I think you could talk yourself into 70. Okay. Maybe I don't want to speak for everybody here. I can talk myself into 75 wins, give or take. Um, There's still several holes in the lineup. Santana, as much as he is probably most probably going to be an upgrade over uh, O'Hearn I'm not entirely convinced that he's going to be like a gigantic upgrade, right? It's not like they're bringing prime Joey Votto or something in. So that is my one question on that's a nice upgrade, but you've still got some other black holes-ish in the lineup. And you're also expecting uh, Perez to return to what he did last year, which I don't think necessarily guaranteed to be the case given his kind of injury history and the, the, um, the wear and tear on him. So I'm going to go with 75 wins at this point. Obviously, minor, nice upgrade. Um, you know, we can argue about would we rather see someone like Daniel Lynch, Jackson, Co. are there instead, but that's not an argument we can have at this point because it's not what's going to happen. Uh, so I think you could. I think you could. Like I said, 75 wins. The team is definitely better, um, but I didn't think that team, if they played a normal schedule it didn't just play the Tigers, whatever it was, 15 times last year, or not 15, but a large amount of times last year, um, that I think that you are going to see probably a little bit of an improvement, but I still think I think my peak would be 75, personally.
0: Well, last year they did they did have, I think, a tougher than usual schedule because they had so many Central Division opponents, and I think that's probably what does give me a little bit of pause. I do think, feel like they, they kind of look 500-ish, but, man, the White Sox are getting better. The, in, the Indians are probably still pretty good, even though they've lost some pieces. The Twins are probably still pretty good. So, I, I, you know, I, that's going to be tough to compete with. Um, but, yeah, I think they're more competitive. They're definitely better. Um, but I don't know. I think, like, David, what, what's kind of your expectation uh, as, as far as right now um, where the Royals are uh, c- contending-wise? And, and if, you know, if they were to make another move, what, what do you think is kind of the, the piece or two that they're missing to kind of get them to that next level?
2: Right now, I think they're probably still the fourth best team in the division, which is not necessarily criticism um, because the Twins, White Sox, and Indians are good teams. The Indians are—I mean—they're going to trade Lindor, so he's going to be gone. But I mean, they've got their pitching factory, and it's just they're—they're going to win some games simply because they can keep other teams from scoring runs. So they're—they're—they're they're, they're in the mix, and for that third best team, the Twins look. The Twins are are not we don't know what they're gonna look like yet in, in 2021 because some of their guys I mean they, they non-tendered Rosaria or they waived him I guess um, Nelson Cruz isn't back yet I think he probably will be um, their pitching is kind of in flux right now so they're, they're kind of questionable but they're still better than the Royals I think um, the offense on paper it looks better um, you, you theoretically get Solaire I don't think he's gonna play 162 games like he did in 2019 but and if he can play 130 games instead of however many he played in 2020, with and and however many of those were with a strained oblique, he should be better. Of course, there's no there's no guarantee that he's not going to be hurt. He's been hurt so much, um, but the problem is there's still not a lot of depth in the lineup. So if any of these guys go down, I mean, as it stands right now, you go seven through nine with Franchi Cordero, Michael A. Taylor, and Nicky Lopez. I, I think Cordero has got potential, but he could. <laughs> He could be a drag in that, in that bottom three, and that that last third of the lineup could really destroy some rallies. Um, and if, if anybody else is hurt, then it becomes the last four, and then if another guy's hurt, it becomes the last five, and then you're looking like we saw a lot of a lot of 2020. So, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of with Sean, 75 wins, but I think you can really squint with some of the young pitching coming, and and I, and some of that depends on how the bullpen shakes out, and some of it depends on how guys like Singer and Bubic and how many starts we see of Coar and Lynch because look, we're not we're not going to see guys make 33 starts in 2021. And it's just it's just not going to happen. So I, I think I think you're going to see a lot of these guys, if the young pitching can really step up, you could make an argument that they could win 80, 82, 83 games, somewhere in there. Um, but if you want to look to where they can add, I – I would be surprised if they don't add one or both of Greg Holland and Trevor Rosenthal. I think at least one of those guys is back. I would not be surprised if they both are. That makes the bullpen better. Um, I I would worry about Holland for more than a year, which I don't know if he'd get more than a year. But I I think I think that makes that that improves the bullpen. It adds that depth. Um, and I don't know. I still get the feeling they're going to find some bat. I don't know if it's a starter type or if they're going to look at like a, I don't know, a Marwin Gonzalez is another bounce back type candidate to kind of be a super utility guy. I don't know who it will be. I just, I I feel like there's, there's another kind of surprising move coming. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is yet, but maybe it's Robbie Grossman. Somebody even kind of boring, but another OBP guy to add to the lineup there. Um, But I yeah I'd be surprised if they don't bring back at least one of Holland and Rosenthal and yeah, the the more depth you have the more you can withstand poor poor performance and injuries it, it's obvious so I I think that they if they can build some of that depth then you can start talking about 500 or better but at this point I 75 76 is probably where I land
0: I think also the other uh, the other benefit to having depth I think is they don't feel like they have to rush some of those other guys the young guys uh up as much like If you bring in Robbie Grossman and Franchi Cordero gets hurt and say Edward Olivares is struggling and they need to send him down, then you don't have to call up a Khalil Lee before he's ready or Kyle Isbell, or you don't have to call up a Jackson Coar if one of the pitchers gets hurt um, because they've got other options. They've got Jacob Junis as a kind of a six-starter bullpen guy. Um, They'll have some options there, which is kind of nice. Sean, if you were running the Royals and and maybe John Sherman says, okay, you've got enough you know, room the budget for one more move, you know, nothing big, something like a, a Mike minor deal. Would you be looking to address the offense? Would you be looking to address the bullpen? Uh, another starting pitching maybe where are you kind of going with, uh, where do you think the Royals kind of need another, um, uh, player if they were to go make another move?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you got to look, I think you have to have the hard conversation with yourself of about Nicky Lopez. Um, who all who you know we all want to root for. We all love that home run he hit in Omaha at his home field, uh, no less. Um, but I think that's a conversation you've gotta ask if if he's an actual starter, if he's a backup player. Um, that's somewhere that I would look at. I mean, maybe it doesn't have to be someone and gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. Maybe it doesn't have to be someone like Tommy Lestella, who I think it's outrageous to think about adding him to a lineup given just kind of not that he's been terrible, but it's just it's just a weird thing to to think of a guy who's been everywhere, who his own team told him to get lost at one point uh, when he was in triple a. Um, so like but I think of a guy like him, um Simmons is probably out of the budget, but just someone that's the first spot I would look at there. Um, other than that, I mean, I think everything's pretty unique or at least interesting throughout. You can argue about um, Franchi and Oliveras and stuff like that in the outfield, but I think if you trade it for them, you're going to give them a shot in some capacity, uh, even if they're both, you know, fairly interchangeable when it comes down to it. So, I don't know. I, I think you could look at upgrading there. Um, otherwise, I think you're still at the stage where you're just trying everything out. So, going to spend on someone like Kyle Schwarber or Jock Peterson um, or, uh, gosh, DJ LeMayhew, like it doesn't really makes sense uh because you're not there where you need to go drop down my 40 million dollars or whatever give or take um on someone when you've kind of got an option that already exists um elsewhere
0: i'll say this i i was expecting like a super boring off season for the royals just like i was like well they're, they're you know i don't think they're great but i think they're kind of set at all their positions and they're probably just going to make, you know, minor moves because they don't have a lot of money, as most teams don't have money. And they've just kind of, <laughs> it shows I don't know. I don't know anything about baseball because they have just kind of blown the doors off the thing with a couple of really surprising moves. So uh, who knows? Maybe they've got a couple more tricks up their sleeves. We'll have to, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the Rule 5 draft, which is coming up this week.
3: feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Well, on
0: Thursday, the Major League Baseball will hold their annual Rule 5 draft. The Royals have had some success in the past years, grabbing Wachim Soria in 2006 and Brad Keller in 2017. Uh, There's some challenges for teams that are drafting this year, though. There was no minor league season to evaluate in 2020, so teams are kind of having to make these selections without having seen any of these players in over a year, so there's gonna be some it's gonna rely on some some really good long-term scouting and a little bit of blind faith uh david it seems likely that the royals will take a picture um just because they've always taken a picture under Dayton Moore. um but it doesn't seem like the the pool is that deep of course like i said we just don't know a lot of, about a lot of these guys since they haven't played this year um but do you what, what do you, what are you kind of looking for in, the, in this rule five draft are there any names that kind of stand out to you
2: you know every year i put together a a little spreadsheet, and I I go through uh, the roster resource pages on Fangraphs, which are awesome. Jason Martinez does a phenomenal job. I'm glad Fangraphs scooped those up. Um, See who's Rule 5 eligible. I put it together. I I, I look at the pictures, the the things that I look at the most from a statistical standpoint are strikeout and walk rate, pretty much, um, because those are the things that translate. They tend to translate at the very least. Um, This year's list sucks. (laughs) it's it just there, there's not i mean there are some intriguing names you look at a guy you know joe barlow from the rangers um and then of course these are 2019 stats because there's no 2020 stats for and there there might i think there are a couple guys who got like a couple plate appearances somehow and then end up rule five eligible again but um joe barlow strikes out a ton of guys but he can't find the strike zone oh the other thing i like to look at ground ball rate too because it, those are the guys who can provide value and i think in a rule five type pick where they're throwing in weird situations in games. Um, yeah, Marshall Mark, Marshall Kosowski from the Dodgers, is he's really interesting. He's got a great backstory, too. Um, but, again, there, there's some control issues. The couple guys keep standing out to me every time I look at lists and, and just, you know, in, into the numbers. And Alexander Guillen from the Marlins, who got up to double-A in 2019, he was decent ground ball rate you know you know one and a half era 30 percent strikeout rate and seven percent walk rate so that kind of jumped out at me he's got the stuff doesn't really necessarily match the numbers but he's done it consistently so that's interesting to me and then the other guy um another dodger brett i think De Geis is how he says it um he'll be 23 in 2021 he, he's never pitched above high a but tons of grounders almost 30% strikeout rate, his walk rate's down below 6. That's really interesting to me because those are the guys I think tend to be the most successful um, from from a Rule 5 perspective. And I, I look back to last year, I really wanted the Royals to take um, Jake Cronenworth, and they didn't, and then nobody did. <laughs> <They> traded, <laughs> I, actually, I, I, now I can't remember. They, he may have been traded before the Rule 5 to the Padres. Either way, Um, obviously had a fantastic season. So I was kind of looking to see if there's anybody who stands out as the Cronenworth of this draft. And the answer is no. Uh, (laughs) But Jamie Westbrook, a guy from the Brewers, he, he's not quite there, but he's, he had, he, he, he works some walks. He doesn't strike out a ton Um, from the hitter side. I, I I look at the same thing, strikeout rate and walk rate. If a guy is striking out 30% of the time in double a, he's not going to strike out less than that in the big leagues. So, you know that that's a guy you probably don't want to carry on a roster for a full season, but uh, um, a, a guy a guy like Westbrook, um, Jose Rojas from the Angels, a lot he's he's older, but you know a lot of a lot of there's there's some pop in that bat, um, and and then another guy I haven't seen much about, but Ivan uh, Castillo from the Padres, uh, he's he's a little bit older, but he's a middle infield guy, doesn't walk or strike out, so. Push the ball in play quite a bit. Um he, he could be interesting. But really, I mean the the choices are, are not great. And and the thing about the Royals is you can look at every single name and then inevitably they're gonna take a guy that you've seen his name before, <laughs> but you have you have to spend some time going back and going, Oh, him, right. And I mean, look, Brad Keller was a guy nobody was on. I don't think before that draft.
0: Um, R- fangraphs was they had him as a, like one of the top prospects. Fangraphs
2: did, yeah. But I, I'm thought, from from looking at what the Royals could pick perspective. Right. Nobody thought the Royals were going. They, everybody thought B- Burt Smith, and that was dead on. Right. And then Keller comes along, and yeah, I feel like they always. I guess I guess they've been zigging when everybody else zags for a long time now, <laughs> and um, especially in the Rule Five. So I'm I'm fully looking forward to. Them taking like I don't know um, uh, somebody like Marcel Renteria or something from the Mets who I I've barely even looked at because I, I feel like if, if I like a guy I don't want to jinx it by looking at him too much because then the Royals won't take him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it's just really hard to, to project <laughs> like because uh, teams look they 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 probably saw a guy in high school and they're like and they kind of kept tabs on him for a little bit and now he's all due on the Rule Five and maybe they're interested you know it's like. Everyone's kind of got their own thing they're looking for, and all these kind of Rule 5 draft previews come out, and, you know, a lot of people will say the same. is the guy you mentioned, Brett Deguice from the Dodgers, I've seen his name pretty high on a lot of lists, and, you know, usually when that happens, it's like, that guy ends up not getting drafted, and, like, the top pick is some guy that wasn't on anyone's list just because that team... Like, like saw, saw something he liked or a coach recommended him or something. So it's really hard to project. You know, it's interesting. You talk about some of the infielders. I didn't think about it. They, they, the Royals could probably use a utility infielder because they don't have. I mean, they basically just have Monsey and Lopez, and then Merrifield. I guess would be their 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 other middle infielder uh, on days that he starts the second, and and maybe Nicky Lopez would be the backup at short on those days. But they don't really have a true reserve middle infielder. Uh, they tried to get by, I think, mostly last year without one, although they called up uh, uh, Eric Mejia a couple times. Um, so maybe that's, that's a possibility. And I, I was trying to think back, you know, Cronenworth, uh, he did go undrafted last year, uh, and he was eligible. So he, was, he could have been a find. I'm thinking back, there's actually been a couple decent utility infielders. Whit Merrifield was at one point eligible for the Rule 5 draft, and no one took him. Uh, but also, like Marvin Gonzalez, who you mentioned earlier, he was a Rule 5 draft by the Astros back in the day. Uh, so, you know, there's a chance to, to get a decent, you know, utility infielder who maybe his bat hasn't quite developed yet. Uh, and so maybe that's a possibility as well. Uh, Sean, is there, you know, looking at this list, I, and I agree with David, it's it's a pretty sparse list and and maybe we just don't know because we didn't see these guys for a year, but is there, are there any names that maybe are worth taking a flyer on?
1: Oh man, you know, I've been doing, well, I, I haven't done one in a, a, at least two years, but I've been putting together kind of a the like my draft my mlb draft big board for i mean gosh gotta be five years almost at this point now there are so many names that i'm seeing on these lists i'm like man i remember writing about him (laughs) in fact uh matt crook who was in your article he is the header icon of the 2016 uh guys the royals should be interested in in the draft list um so it's interesting to see that but yeah i mean there's just a bunch of random names that like Ah, uh, so like, I'll just go down my list. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, uh, who throws ninety-five. I mean, I think he even hit, was hit ninety-eight. Had Tommy John, um, but he's a bullpen guy you could stash. He's from the Yankees. Um, Matt Crook, as I mentioned, was a thirty-fifth overall pick. Didn't sign, sign in the, like the fourth round. Um, and then just kind of hasn't been there. Alex Spees with the Rangers also had Tommy John. Kind of a big arm, big lively arm guy. You could totally stash him in the bullpen. Um in the same sense of like Jeffrey DeLosario, um, old local boy, Riley pint is
0: available. Um, wouldn't touch him with the foot pole in
1: in the draft to begin with back in whatever it was. That's uh, crazy. He was
0: a number four overall pick fastball in the high nineties. And I yep. mean, high school pitchers, man, they'll break your heart, I guess, but yeah, it's just disappointing. Yep. Uh, hopefully he can turn it around. I mean, he's still young. He can still turn it around, but he hasn't pitched above, I think low way ball. So
1: yeah. Joey, uh, Joey Wentz is doing good. Top 100 prospect. Um, oh, gosh, good, Pine, but he, I
0: think he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Yeah, true,
1: true. But Riley Pine, I was I was never been more sure that a player was not going to be good than Riley Pine. Um, mm-hmm. Jordan Sheffield is going to be a big name. He was with the Dodgers, 36th overall pick. Good change in uh, throws, like 95, maybe up to 100. Um, those are the pitchers I think are possible. There are There's a couple of position players I like, too. Uh Buddy Reed, um, former Florida Gator, got picked by the – Padres, I think, then traded to the a- Athletics. Um, he's like a super fast outfielder that can't hit very well, but kind of fits the Royals' type. But you know they're pretty packed in the outfield. Um, Akil Badu, who uh, is with the Twins now, um, he's basically Khalili. He's twenty, doesn't have all the ground ball rate. Is more like I think I looked at him as like a forty percent ground ball rate opposed to Lee's a much higher one. But he's almost like Khalili to a T. Um, Will Benson with the with the Indians who is i i don't know a comparison he's you have to go look him up he's six foot eight 250 pounds all 100 percent muscle he's basically a hori solaire um with a worse uh contact um man lucas Erstig Juan javier with the twins and then of course estuary ruiz is available here second baseman, more oil is one of my favorites we could pick him up uh uh, for nothing bring him back we would win that trade with the Padres for sure if we, if we could get him back so I think there's actually a lot of interesting guys but you've got to like stupid players like I do um, <laughs> and so anyways I, I think there are some but yeah I mean I would think of one of like a uh, a Crook or Sheffield um, would make more sense. Maybe a Whitlock. Um, they're probably not going to go get Estuary
0: Ruiz, unfortunately. Uh, Talking about former prospects, how about Kevin Meaton of the Angels? Yeah, remember he was a big really? deal when he was a Braves prospect, and they had to let him go yeah. in that scandal. Uh, He's never really he signed for four million dollars. hasn't really done anything in the minors. But uh, here's a here's a few names I was kind of looking at. Um, I kind of like Zach Brown of the Brewers. I know Alex Duvall at Royals, uh, Report, uh, Royals Farm Report really likes him. But he was a pretty highly ranked uh, prospect in their system. I think he was our minor league pitcher of the year in 2018 and kind of regressed in 2019 once he got to AAA. But, you know, he's pretty polished. I think he could step into a big league uh, bullpen and at least, uh, you know, not not totally collapse or not be overwhelmed by the moment. So I think he's a guy that could be kind of interesting. Um, the guys I, I really like. He's popped up on a lot of lists. I think he's kind of interesting. Um Tim Meza, who's one of those rare, he's pitched a lot in the big leagues, uh, but is Rule 5 eligible because uh, he was outrighted by the Blue Jays after Tommy John surgery, but he's back. Uh, he's a lefty specialist. I know lefty specialists aren't that big of a deal now, but uh, the Royals don't have a lot of lefty relievers on the roster right now, other than Richard Lovelady, and we'll see if he gets a shot. Um, so May, a guy like Mesa maybe could make some sense. He's a—you know, He's got a lot of big league experience, so it wouldn't be hard to keep him on the roster all year. Uh, and then Raymond Kerr, who throws 100 miles an hour? Uh, is left-handed. Uh, has trouble throwing strikes, but I'm always intrigued by a left-hander that can throw 100 miles an hour. Um, I, I'm always impressed by velocity just because I don't have much else to go on with these guys. I, ground ball rates. I think ground ball rates are actually pretty interesting too. And uh, there was a guy last in last year's draft. I really like uh, Sterling Sharp, who uh, is actually eligible again this year. He was actually selected by the Marlins by the from the Nationals. And he had a really high ground ball rate, but he didn't uh, stick with the Marlins, so he's uh, eligible again with the Nationals. So he could be interesting as well. But I like the, the Raymond Currer is kind of interesting just because he throws so hard. Spies, Alex Spies, another one who, uh, I think he was throwing like 90 for most of his career, and then he had Tommy John, and suddenly he's throwing 100. Uh, so he's that's kind of intriguing. I guess the Rangers thought about calling him up this year, but, but decided not to. So, um, you know, maybe if he's a guy that you feel like could, uh, step into a big league, uh, bullpen and throw that heat, then maybe you take a chance with him. So yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of great names out there, but I, I, I do feel confident they'll take at least one, maybe even two players just because they did clear some roster spots last week. Um, I know Carlos Santana will get one of them, but, um, yeah, they're still, I know they say they're not in a rebuild, but they still are kind of in the business of, of looking at young talent and trying to evaluate it and see if they, see if there's something there that can help for the future and, and it doesn't look great to me, but but maybe there's a, a Brad Keller out there that I'm I'm not saying that they've been scouting for a while that they think can help them out. So,
2: if you want to look for a guy who could be this draft Brad Keller, same organization, go to the Diamondbacks. Cole Stapler is, is a guy who I I as as I was thinking about it back to the draft, like Sean was talking about, the Royals were linked to him not heavily, heavily, but you heard his name with the Royals back. I think what was it twenty? 20- 2016, 2017 um, late round I mean he was a 22nd round pick so it wasn't like he was a, a top pick but he's a guy who's had some success he's a big guy um, doesn't walk anybody uh, that, that that's the type of guy you could see them maybe try to to sneak through and, and probably get to AAA next year but um, if you're looking for that Brad Keller he, he's another name that, that could be a slight possibility I guess
0: Yeah, the good thing is they wouldn't have none of these guys would need a start for a while. I mean, they seem like they're stocked up on starters, so you can, I think, really concentrate on guys that can that can uh, work out of the bullpen. So we'll see if they end up making a pick. It'll be like I said, it'll be Thursday morning, uh, and uh, yeah, the Royals will have the seventh overall seventh pick in the in the Rule Five draft. Uh, Let's wrap up with our Royals review reviews. David is our guest. Why don't you uh, lead it off tonight?
2: All right. So we, my wife and I, have gone through so many shows in the last. Uh, eight and a half, nine months, whatever long it's been. You haven't been going out to watching.
0: bars and restaurants, huh?
2: Not, not lately. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I do have a very strong carryout game now. But um, we 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 started watching game shows because we were just uh, we couldn't find a show to watch. Anyway, stumbled upon this new one called Don't. I don't know if you guys have watched it. It is brilliantly hilarious. It's produced by Ryan Reynolds. He's also the announcer. Adam Scott is the host and it is so stupid and funny and, but they know it I guess which I think is what makes it so good um, the, the premise of the game is you basically win by not doing things um, in, the, in the very first episode for example there's a guy he is asked to eat uh, increasingly hot peppers and if he turns down the drink afterward so don't drink he gets four thousand dollars per pepper um there's another one where it's uh don't look back and they have to like jump through these uh, ribbons to get a certain amount of money and there's a a ball rolling down a hill chasing after them and there's some trivia too um there was there was one where the, the it's a family of four usually a group of four not always a family i guess but um they have multiple choice questions and whatever one they pick the person has to stand in that spot, and these tires roll down, and will run you. And the only one they don't go down is the correct answer. And so, if your family picked wrong, you're getting run over by a tire. And it's just, it's so stupid, but it's like the fastest forty-three minutes of a game show I think I've ever seen. They are so funny. Um, I don't know. I it, it I, it's on Hulu. I think it's an ABC show. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah, I think we uh, caught it once
0: on ABC. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, it is. I mean, I we we've been cracking up watching it, honestly, and it's it's so it's just like the kind of mindless thing that you need when, when you're worn down from a long day of work. So, um, I would I would highly recommend checking out. Don't on wherever you want to find it, Hulu, ABC, whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I will I will say there's something to be said for kind of just dumb fun shows that you can just watch and not have to think about it after. Like I think we're all kind of trained to oh you have to watch a show that has a Five season arc and you have to follow all these complicated plots and a hundred characters. It's like you know what? Sometimes I just want a procedural or a or a sitcom or a dumb game show. And um, yeah, that's, that's that's a good recommendation that uh, to kind of relieve your stress at the end of the day. Don't with Ryan Reynolds and and Adam Scott. Uh, Sean, what do you have for us this week?
1: You know, I deserve to be hit with a uh, a pillowcase full of soap because I just now started watching. The Crown, um, four seasons too late apparently, or whatever you know, however many years been <laughs> going on, um, but I mean it's phenomenal. Nothing I can say about it. I couldn't tell you a single thing. Uh, the my my knowledge of the royal family, particularly the kind of Windsors in the early 1900s, was fully encompassed by what i watched in the king's Speech, and that's it and that's one guy basically the brothers in there um so it's basically nothing so uh yeah we've been watching the crown uh now on like the second episode of season two but it's fantastic um you if you really like really well shot stuff um great acting and it's cool just to learn about something new i mean You've got so much like fiction, and fiction fiction's great, but it's also really interesting to learn these actual true historic events and the things behind them, uh, as opposed to you know just putting on Die Hard three uh, for another night. Um, so I think it's really really great. I'm excited to see the new characters come in um, every season or so. Uh, so. I can't say enough about it. One season in it's terrific and I hear it only gets better. So, The Crown, it's all on Netflix. Uh, well, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and they
0: even have new actors play the same characters. So like you see Liz, Queen Elizabeth get older over the years and they change actresses so it's kind of interesting to see how the recast. We we just started watching I think a couple weeks ago and I think we're in season 2 now. Yeah, I agree. There's stuff in there I I know there's a an episode about the the great London fog that killed a yeah, lot of people right. and I had yeah. no idea that happened. Uh, and it's really really amazing. Uh and uh yeah, it's that's pretty good. They they spent a, a lot of money on that show, didn't they? Cuz it looks like yeah. they spent a lot of money on that. Oh
1: show. yeah. Yeah, they've got elephants and giraffes in that, in one episode. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, there's so many little things you learn. Um I mean, I knew nothing about the the Egyptian uprising. There's a whole episode about that. Like I, I, I barely even ever heard of that. I don't think before that. So there's just so much cool stuff that you learn uh, just in an individual episode and little things about each other's lives. Um, so it's it's awesome.
0: That's the Crown, or as they they say it on the show, the Crown on uh, <laughs> Netflix. Um, yeah, check it out. Uh, so my Royals Royals review reviews this week is an article at MLB.com. It's about Billy Wagner, who's on the Hall of Fame ballot. And I didn't know this about Billy Wagner. Of course, you remember Billy Wagner, hard-throwing lefty reliever for the Astros and Mets. What I didn't know is that Billy Wagner is actually right-handed, which is amazing to me. I mean, like he's right-handed. He writes right-handed. He uses. He eats with his right hand. But he also throws with his right hand. Apparently, when he was seven years old, he broke his right hand, broke his right arm, and he still wanted to play. So he taught himself how to throw left-handed. And when his right arm healed he found he could actually throw harder with his left arm and so he just continued to go with it and i didn't know this is a thing you could do but uh, they talked to a doctor and it's they say it's it's uh what's what's the term let me look it up it's a uh, uh da, 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 neuroplasticity and it's the ability of our bodies to adapt whatever we put on it and so you could teach yourself to, to throw left-handed now he said you got it's easier to do at a younger age and you also have to have to have the kind of determination that Billy Wagner had, but he was so determined to play baseball, he learned to throw his left hand. Not only that, but he learned to throw 100 miles per hour with his left arm. And there's kind of a funny story where he kind of bet Randy Johnson how hard they could th- how far they could throw it with their right arm. And of course Randy Johnson's, you know, known for his great left arm, but apparently doesn't have a very good right arm, whereas Billy Wagner can throw quite naturally with his right arm as well and end up throwing the ball into the seat, So it, that's just amazing to me. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know Billy Wagner did that. Uh, really interesting career he had, and I and he did it all throwing with the wrong hand. So uh, definitely check that out at MLB.com. Billy Wagner, uh, use, uh, how Billy B- Wagner went from righty to lefty by Matthew uh, Monaghan. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks to Sean and David for being on the show. And thanks to our readers, and listeners for visiting our site, and we'll talk to you next time.
3: Hey!